Hi, I'm Pastor John Perkadakis of Village Green Community Church. And uh, if you're listening to this audio broadcast of the next sermon, ser- sermon in the sermon series that we have on prayer, I want to just uh, take a moment and apologize that the actual audio recording for the sermon on the Sunday, um, we had some technical difficulties and it was not recorded. So uh, what I'm giving you here today is, is, is a bit of the short version of the actual message uh, we have a number of people who are in life groups and uh, go online to hear the message who are not at church. So uh, in, in light of the technical difficulties, I'm in my office on, on Monday afternoon uh, kind of trying to recreate what happened on Sunday. Uh, so here it is, uh, the message that we're talking about. We're into part five of our sermon series, Hear Us Now, on prayer. And uh, we're we're, we're tackling a very difficult subject when it comes to prayer um, in this particular message. Um, I I remember back to when I was a a little boy, and uh, I remember my parents coming home and uh, being excited about something that they had bought for me or brought home for me. And of course, when you're when you're a young boy and and uh, your parents are telling you they've got a surprise for you, you anticipate certain things like a bike or whatever. But what my parents had brought home for me was was a cross, uh, a cross that had been blessed by the priest at the church. And, and, and of course, it wasn't what I was expecting or anticipating or anything like that. And I wondered why this was so important to my parents. And what turned out being was was this this cross that had been blessed by the priest. They, they put it in between the two mattresses of, of my bed to protect me uh, from evil spirits and from demonic forces and to protect me in my bedroom. And that really kind of jolted me. And uh, uh, it was my first experience with this whole idea of the spiritual realm or or the battle that happens in the spiritual world. And um, what, what, what kind of made it even more dramatic for me is that they also bought me a picture, uh, a picture of Jesus, actually, you know, the full face of, of Jesus, and they hung it up in my room. And uh, to this day, I, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, that that picture actually followed me. You know, Jesus watched me everywhere I went in my bedroom. So I, re- I remember in the at nighttime when I went to bed that particular evening, just, just being... Uh, you know, so I'm almost uncomfortable at what I had just come to realize about the world that we lived in as a boy, that there really was other forces. And I remember my room being dark and being able to see the face of Jesus, knowing this cross was underneath my mattress. And uh, I don't know if my parents had any idea the kinds of things that uh, they, they had opened me up to. Um, so it was, that was my first experience, and then, and then over over time and over the course of years, and eventually getting into ministry, this whole idea of spiritual warfare became uh, a big part of, of many 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 situations and, and opportunities where that became even more evident. Um, I recounted on Sunday morning the time when I got up to speak uh, to preach on a Sunday morning. I remember getting, walking, oh, not getting, but actually walking up to the platform and feeling this constriction in my throat, almost like someone was choking me. And I'll never forget that feeling. And I remember praying 
and, and coming up to the front and everybody watching when I was struggling just to get a word out. And, and I could feel the release when, when I, I prayed it through and now was able to say something. But it was a, another experience that I had of this whole thing um, of spiritual warfare. And uh, as we, as we're going to look at a particular passage today that really kind of opens up the curtain to this whole idea of what happens when we pray. And the question we're asking today is, what do we invite when we pray? Because most of us, um, if you're a believer or if you're a non-believer, for most of us, the thing that, that we believe that when we pray, that it's this intimate conversation between God and ourselves. The, the Bible seems to hold uh, a, a slightly different view. Yes, that is true, that we do pray, and, and, and it is an intimate conversation with God. But we also invite something else potentially to happen, this whole battle in the spiritual world. And uh, we're looking at a passage in, in Daniel this morning that, that is, um, is one of the rare passages in the Bible that actually pulls the curtain away from the physical world and allows us a glimpse into the spiritual world. And we're looking at Daniel 10, uh, verses um, uh, 12 to 14. And I want to do a little bit of a background because Daniel 9, Daniel 10 are two very important passages. They're apocalyptic literature. They're literature about um, uh, visions that God is giving Daniel. And, um, and Daniel is absolutely um, taken by these visions. He is, he is in mourning. He begins to fast and to pray. And he's praying to God to give him understanding uh, and to give him clarity about what it is that God has given him. These are very powerful images. They're very powerful visions. And they have absolutely rocked this prophet. And uh, in the beginning of, ch of chapter 10, Daniel is with a group of friends, a group of others. And, and they're at the, the, the banks of the Tigris River. And as Daniel is standing there and, and in the midst of his praying and his fasting, he sees a man standing there. No one else in the group sees the man standing there, um, except for Daniel. Daniel's the only one that sees this person. And this is how Daniel describes the person in Daniel 10, starting in verse 4. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Daniel sees this vision. This is, this is what he sees. This is the individual that, that, that he's confronted with. He collapses on his face. The other people who are around him that don't see the, this, this particular vision, they're terrified. They don't know what it is, but they end up, they end up running away. Daniel's left uh, to himself, and he's... Um, on his face, this messenger, um, this angel, um, an angel and messenger in Hebrew are the same word, by the way. That's the designation that an angel has in the Hebrew. Um, comes to Daniel and touches him and tells and picks him up and lifts him up, saying that he has something that he needs to tell Daniel. And also reminds Daniel that he is precious to God. And the messenger states um, that what he's got to tell Daniel has to do 
with the future state of the nation of Israel. So this is a, a vision that the messenger has come to communicate to Daniel, so Daniel can pass it on to the nation itself. So the passage we're looking at specifically, and I want to read, read it now, is Daniel 10, 12-14. Then the messenger said, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Now if you have your notes, if you're part of a life group and you have your notes in front of you, um, the, the question, uh, the two points that I want to respond to, to the question, what is it that we invite when we pray? This is a, a passage, again, as, as I said earlier, kind of opens the curtain up into the spiritual world. And in the midst of Daniel praying, in the midst of him fasting and mourning for 21 days, um, some very interesting uh, revelations come to light from this passage concerning what happens as Daniel is praying for something. And uh, so here's the question again. What do we invite when we pray? And the very first thing that we invite when we pray is God to act. That's the first point, God to act. Now, uh, some of you are going to be saying, boy, that, that's, that, that's a surprise, right? Uh, that's a kind of a no-brainer. Of course, when we come to pray, that's, that's the actual uh, assumptions that we make about prayer, is that we're inviting God to act on our behalf about something in our lives. If we're asking God for healing, if we're asking God for understanding, if we're asking God for restoration, um, you know, that not that what prayer is all about, is asking God to act on our behalf? Um, that, that's a very obvious point. Um, but, but the fact that it's so obvious also causes us to forget that there's much more involved. So as, as we stay on this point, um, again, I want to remind you that, that, that Daniel has been praying and fasting and mourning for three weeks, the 21 days. And notice in the passage, uh, the angel says that Daniel, at the moment you began to pray, your request was heard in heaven. And the angel has come in an answer to that. It's interesting that there's no time lag for God. God answered the prayer right away, sent the messenger right away. It was immediate. And um, the, the message that the messenger is going to give Daniel concerns very important uh, things that are going to happen in the future, all orchestrated by God. Even, even, even the revelation of, of like Alexander the Great, for instance, and what he is going to do. Uh, in conquering uh, most of the known world at that time, and uh, the messianic figure, the anointed one that was going to come and uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. So very, very significant revelations that are given in this, in this passage. Um, and uh, notice that Daniel is asking God one thing um, alone, and that's for understanding. Um, and I, and I think this is significant. Many times we are praying to God and asking him specifically for answers. Many times in, in, in the Bible, the, the people who are praying to God are asking not only for answers, but for understanding. 
many times we don't understand the circumstances around us. We don't understand the context of what is happening around us. And prayer is a wonderful way of asking God to help put your circumstances in a context for you. Um, life, uh, you know, another way we could say this is that life needs to be interpreted. Um, if we did not have the Word of God, you would interpret your life purely by the circumstances around you, uh, purely what people tell you, um, uh, the culture around us. Um, we would not have um, an opportunity to really be able to put in perspective uh, what our lives really are all about. The Word of God helps us to interpret life um, as, as God intends us to see life. Um, I know that's a bit of a, 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 a difficult um, uh, concept to sort of wrap our minds around, but life is often uh, interpreted by the circumstances around us. Prayer helps us to see life interpreted through God's eyes, um, through God's will. And, and many times we just need to understand what is happening to us in light of God's promises, in light of God's hope, and not allow those circumstances to be the determining factor of our, of our relationship with God. Uh, that God does love us, that God does have a purpose for us, that what we're experiencing right now is part of God's plan. It may be hurtful, it may be hard to take, it may be you know, causing us to question but um, um, the, um, the, the prayers end up becoming an opportunity for us to interpret our lives based on God's word. Um, and this is where Daniel um, is, 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 is praying to understand how these visions um, should be interpreted in light of, of, of God's plan for, for mankind and Israel. Um, the second thing is, is, is for evil to counteract. Uh, we said in the first point for God to act, but the second thing that happens is for evil to counteract. And it's a, this is a, an important part of the equation. Um, again, as we said, notice that when Daniel fasts and prays that the messenger is sent out right away. But the messenger is delayed for 21 days because of an evil spirit, an evil uh, prince who is uh, actually a territorial prince, um, you know, governs the, the, the region of Persia um, and is actually stopping this messenger. There's a battle, there's a war that's, that's happening. Um, and uh, even the archangel Michael has to come to help. And if you read uh, further in this passage, um, the messenger actually says that, to Daniel that when he, when he goes to return, he's going to have to not only fight the prince of Persia, but the prince of Greece as well. So the battle continues. The, the battle is, is, is going. Um, so this is one of those clear examples in the Bible that when we pray, things happen, that the, that the battle for evil and good uh, continues. It, it's... Um, it's a tremendous, uh, uh, you know, war zone, um, this, this place, uh, the spiritual realm. And it's, and, and it's sometimes a difficult thing for us to fathom that here's Daniel, one of the most godly saints in the Bible, um, who, who is highly favored by God, who, who lived a life, uh, you know, in, in perfect obedience to God, even though he was living in an exiled land. 
And yet his prayers evoke this, this great battle in the heavenlies that, um, that he would be unaware of had not God uh, pulled back the curtain for just a few brief moments for him to see. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, is that um, when it comes to prayer, uh, based on this passage, delays are not necessarily denials. Um, just because we don't see the answer to prayer right away does not mean that God has delayed in answering that prayer. That, there, that the, the delay could be because of the battle that ensues in, in the spiritual realm that we're totally unaware of. Um, so um, one of the PowerPoints, um, again, in your, in your um, life group material, uh, the, you know, the first two points that we talked about is, is we invite God to act and invite evil to counteract. Uh, the second thing um, in the PowerPoints that, that we had is, is a point that we wanted to make as a summary statement of these two points. And it was this, when we pray, we become armed and dangerous because we invite the potential for a battle. Um, we become armed and dangerous because we invite the potential for a battle. We said a number of weeks ago, uh, if you were part of the service then, that prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. And that the battle belongs to the Lord. And when we pray, we open up an opportunity or the potential for that battle to happen. Um, now here's, here's one of the rubs in all of this. In our modern, scientifically driven world, we want measurable, uh, quantifiable um, statistics. Um, the spirit realm, for many of us, we don't know what to do with. And, 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 and frankly, I, I can't for a minute articulate to you what it is about about prayer that would evoke the evil um, if 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 it is God that is hearing your prayers, God that's acting on your prayers, I, I don't quite understand all of this stuff, but the Bible is very, very clear that that there is this ensuing war, this ensuing battle that happens, and prayer is what is what is the communication device across enemy lines, and uh, it's very important for us. Um, to understand that, but but the, the next PowerPoint um, uh, and, and point that we want to make that we want to stress is that the battle that we see around us physically is just a snapshot of the greater war that is being waged in the spiritual realm. Very often, um, we see our circumstances around us and, and our prayers are, are focused on the circumstances around us and yet we have very little idea of, of just what is impacting those circumstances in the spiritual world. That sometimes uh, what seems very small and insignificant to us is very dramatic in the spiritual world. Is, is, is a war that's waging that we have no idea. We And so in our prayer lives, we often will focus on what the immediate circumstance is, and yet our prayers probably uh, need to be focused in a, in, a, in, a, in a larger way to what is actually happening uh, in, in the background. Um, or, or the other thing, too, that happens is that we, we think we don't need to pray about this. This is such a small thing. 
And yet the reality is it may be such a small thing here, now, and in this place, but it's a much larger thing in the spiritual world. How many of us have had a situation where um, you know, someone's acted a particular way and we've just rubbed it off and said, you know, but, but you know, the reality is it's, it, it, we live in a world that is sin-filled and sin-cursed, uh, you know, to use that terminology. And yet we are so easily, um, easily um, not taking seriously um, the, the, the ensuing battle that happens in the background over sin and how the devil wants to take us and, and not allow God to speak into our lives. And, you know, um, again, in, in our science-filled world, we uh, tend to just see things at a certain level, at a certain degree, and, and say, oh, I can manage this. This is okay. This is a piece of it that, that I can work through. I can, I, can, I, can, I can manage this and I can fix this myself. But very often there's so much more behind it. And I, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons why, why some people don't want to pray or don't find it important enough to pray because it just doesn't motivate them because we don't understand really what's going on or how how uh, you know strong the battle or the war is being waged behind it, and that's the kind of the point I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to, to make. And for many of us, we also can forget that the victory has already been won by Jesus. That Jesus has won the victory by 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 what He accomplished on the cross and the resurrection, and that death and sin have been beaten. Um, and, and that yes, there is a war going on. There is a battle going on. And this and, and this point, I'm, I'm I'm going to get to it near the end here, uh, is going to be significant for believer and unbeliever because the battle is different for both. Um, um, one of the memory verses, in fact, the memory verse for this particular week comes out of Ephesians six eleven and twelve, and it's a New Testament passage because it, it speaks again to the nature of the battle. And many of us know this, this passage. And uh, this is what it says. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Um, you know, very tough passage. Um, in, in the sense that um, we, we, can, we can imagine ourselves putting on spiritual armor. We can imagine ourselves, um, you know, praying and preparing ourselves. But Paul says, you know, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. That, that what we see around us isn't just, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what, where the real battle lies. The battle lies in the, in the, in the spiritual realm, in, in the realm where we can't fully understand what is going on and we need to be prepared and the, and the the armor that we're giving is the armor that God gives us and prayer being one of them the word of God being one of them the righteousness that we live the, the salvation that we have 
all of those things, all of those components are important for us in order that we can stand against the fiery uh, darts of the devil. Um, Colossians 2, 13 and 15, I want to I wanna bring this up again because if you're a believer, you have to understand that, that uh, um, you're going to get attacked by the devil. And Paul reminds us again in this passage, along with the Ephesians passage, about, about why it's important for us to recognize this battle. Colossians 2, 13-15 says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, and listen to this, this is wonderful, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over the cross. Um, it's, it's, it is one thing to recognize the victory. It is another thing to live in victory. Um, as, as, as believers, um, I think in, in, our, in our heads we can acknowledge the victory that, that Jesus has won on our behalf. But how often do we live victorious lives, free of the lies of the devil, or the fiery darts, because if you're a believer, you are going to get targeted. That is a reality. And and the things in our lives that we allow the devil to have access to are the things in our lives that are really going to cause us a lot of hurt and and a lot of um, a lot of opportunity a lot of times when we're not fully living our lives as God would intend us to live. Um, uh, an author by the name of Sinclair Ferguson, in his book By Grace Alone, uh, actually identifies four fiery darts that, that the devil um, throws, especially as, as believers. Um, but I think this is true of almost anybody. I, I, I think one of, the, one of the, the lines that get blurred when it comes to the attacks of the devil sometimes can be um, how it affects us uh, as believers and unbelievers. And many times the fiery darts look very similar. It's just how we respond and react to them that can, that can often make the difference. But the first fiery dart is this. Uh, God is against you. Um, he is not really for you. How can you believe he is for you when you see the things happening in your life? And that's, that's a, a dart that the devil will throw at us. That look at the circumstances of your life. How can you possibly say that God is for you when, when you're experiencing this kind of thing? And, and if, if that's allowed to, uh, you know, to become kind of like the echo in our, in our mind all the time, we can quickly, quickly um, uh, fall um, and, and, and the battle be lost if we continue to hear that thing from the devil. The second thing is, I have accusations I will bring against you because of your sins. What can you say in defense? Nothing. And, and Satan will do that. He'll, he'll, he'll make these accusations. I know about this. I know about that. I know you did this. And, and the reality um, is, is, you know, Jesus uh, took care of that. Um, Jesus paid um, and, and you don't have to stand accused any longer. 
that you are uh, a new creation uh, before God as, as a believer. And that, and that lends us into fiery dart number three. How can you say that you're forgiven? Um, isn't there a payback day coming, a condemnation day? Uh, how can you defend yourself then? And, and uh, again, uh, how many of us as believers truly, truly acknowledge that we're forgiven? That, that Jesus, when he went to the cross, placed everything on, on his shoulders, on, on his body, on the cross, and, and, and took the sins of the world. And when we say the sins of the world, we mean you. Um, very often we can objectify that as the world outside of us. Uh, but the reality is, 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 is if you've claimed faith in Jesus Christ, yeah, you, you have been forgiven. And, and Satan will, will take that and, and use it against you if you allow um, you, you know, uh, your understanding to, to be lost when it comes to the forgiveness that is yours. Uh, number four is the Satan will say, you give, you know, given your track record, what hope do you have to persevere to the very end? You know, and that's fair. Based on, based on your track record, how can you possibly think you're going to get to the end and be okay? Now, I don't know how, how many times um, or how many of us say, well, if, if you knew what I did, and, and a lot of these um, self-imposed guilts that we place on ourselves are the very things that the devil will use. That's tremendous battleground material um, for the devil. Um, and, and a lot of times, those are the types of fiery arrows that affect us the most. Um, I had a couple of PowerPoints. Um, one was by Francis Schaeffer. Um, and a quote, the quote was this, We are locked in a battle. This is not a friendly gentleman's discussion. It is a life and death conflict between the spiritual hosts of wickedness and those who claim the name of Christ. Um, a quote by Francis Schaeffer. The second one was from C.S. Lewis, where he says, There's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Um, here are men who acknowledge that, that you know, we should not be comfortable in our prayers. We should not be comfortable in our lives. That we are soldiers of, of, of a battle that is ensuing in the heavenlies. And, um, and uh, we need to recognize this. And again, um, I, I want to I stress how difficult this is in our modern world. Because, because um, I, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that if we... Um, stress that everything is of the devil, that's one extreme. If we don't count on the devil for anything and totally discount him, that's the other extreme. But somewhere in the middle, we need to be cognizant of this happening in our world. And it's a tough balance for us to say, you know, when is this a spiritual battle that, that or, or when is this something that I, I need to manage? And frankly, I, I don't have any easy answers when it comes to that particular struggle. But I think what, what is not right is when we um, don't know how to handle something and just because of that, we default to the worst, um, to virtually ignoring it altogether. And I think in our modern culture, that's probably what we're guilty of. 
uh, we're uncomfortable with it, we don't know how to manage it, um, we're very scientifically oriented. So because it makes us uncomfortable, we don't want to take it uh, and, and, and put you know, on it what the, the kind of attention it, it does deserve. Um, and in light of that, um, I read a blog last week from James Emery White that, I, that was really fascinating. It was kind of timely in terms of this message. Um, as, as some of you may know, uh, listening to this, the Pew Research Group in the United States just released its findings on, their, on, the, on religion in America. And uh, I know being in Canada, um, you know, what, what does statistics in America have to do with us? But the reality is, is we're probably 10 to 20 percent farther down uh, the line than the Americans. So if this is bad news for uh, America, this is really bad news for Canada. Um, but uh, the Pew Research Group just recently, um, uh, for the first time in history, recorded that um, Protestant uh, Christians, uh, predominantly that used to be predominant in the U.S is now below 50%, I think it's 48%, which is the first time it has dipped that low. And the group that's growing the fastest is the non-religious group, uh, not committed uh, to anything. And uh, for many people, um, they've kind of been moaning that fact. Um, but I was really interested with the way James Emery White took it because he, he acknowledged that this is a battle now. Um, and this is something that we need we need to take very, very seriously, and that we, um, you know, he encouraged us in, in, in his blog to do to to stop just playing church. That, that the battle is real, and we're seeing fruits of that battle um, in 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 North America in very real ways. And he says, "I'm grateful for this," and I want to read the last part of his. Um, as we close out um, this particular message, I want to read the, the last part of his blog. Um, at, at the point where he says, you know, I'm glad, uh, I'm grateful to, for these statistics, and here's why. He, he writes this, because I pray it will be, it will be the desperately needed wake-up call Christianity needs. A wake-up call to shake us from the trivial and divisive, the mundane and the meaningless, the inane and the banal. For this is no time for such things. The need is too urgent, the day too dark, and the challenge too great. This is no time for crosstown church competitions for transfer growth, then patting ourselves on the back for reaching the already convinced as if we somehow made a dent in hell. This is no time to cling to outdated forms of communication or style because of the fear of change and the selfish attitudes we turn into theological fences we build around our personal tastes. This is no time to cave into spiritual narcissism where the primary concern is whether people are fed ministered to or get anything out of it as if the mission is caring for believers as consumers instead of dying to ourselves to reach a lost world this is no time for seminaries and their leaders to bow down in front of the academy as if the ultimate goal is getting another paper into another academic journal on some inane issue irrelevant to anyone but fellow academics when students are in desperate need to be trained and developed to lead churches to their fullest redemptive potential. This is no time to keep putting evangelism down in the name of discipleship, as if spending energy on one takes away from spending energy on the other, thus falsely spiritualizing a passive approach to outreach. 
This is no time for denominations to protect outdated programs or agencies, policies or strategies which no longer work, continuing to foist them onto churches in the name of effectiveness, in the name of self-preservation and revenue stream. This is no time to wave the flag of social ministry and justice issues so single-mindedly in the name of cultural acceptance and the hip factor that it becomes our collective substitute for the clear articulation of the gospel. It's time to wake up and engage the battle at hand. And the battle is clear. We must do whatever it takes, barring any reduction of the gospel itself, to bring this world to Christ. First things first. And that's the blog entry for James Emery. I think it's a very powerful statement of identifying the battle and that we have gotten as churches far too comfortable in, 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 in the way that we live when all around us, in the, in the spiritual realm, there's an incredible battle going. Uh, and here's the, here's the rub. If you're a believer listening to this, here, here is where the battle becomes uh, very significant for you. The devil wants nothing more than to make you irrelevant, to take your testimony away. There are going to be moments in your life where you're going to believe a lie or you're going to go down a path that's going to lead you to a place that God does not want you to go. There's nothing that the devil wants more than to take away your joy, to take away your testimony, to take away your ability to reach others for Christ. That is where the battle is if you're a believer. He can't take away your eternal salvation, but he can take away your ability to help someone else find that eternal salvation. And there are so many Christians that have been put on the shelf or 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 taken out of the game altogether because they've bought into a lie from Satan and have ruined their testimony and their and 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 and, and ruined their ability to live as as a testimony to what God has done in their lives. And that's 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 the scary part for for a believer. If you so if you're a believer, um, you need to take that seriously. If you're a non-believer, the war that is being waged for you is for your soul, for your for your eternal place. Um, the devil wants nothing more than to empty heaven um, and 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 to fill hell. And um, the war is being waged for souls. And there is lies that, that, that Satan tells um, or, or things um, that, that, that get elevated that have really nothing to do with you being saved. The, the whole debate about creation and evolution has nothing to do with your eternal soul. Um, you know, eschatology, end times, rapture. Uh, there are just so many things that divert us from a, a, a vibrant uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And, and many times there are so many minor issues that people want to argue over about faith and God and Jesus that the devil is, is just laughing all the way in, 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 in the battle because, because it's keeping us occupied, it's keeping you occupied from coming face to face with what Jesus has done for you. So um, that's, that's our message. That's, that's the, the, the summary of this particular 
I'm looking at 40 minutes. I can't believe. I thought this was only going to take 20 minutes. But I thank you for listening. I thank you for uh, what you're doing in your life groups. I thank you for being a part of this. If, if you're not part of our church, uh, it's been a privilege to sort of speak into your life this particular message. I hope you take it seriously. And uh, on behalf of Village Green and, and myself as, as, as its pastor, uh, I want to thank you um, for taking the time and for all that you do for the kingdom. And I pray that you would have this message uh, written upon your heart as you continue to seek the Lord and, and to pray and to pray with the full knowledge of what you're inviting when you do so. Thank you in Jesus' name.